walking is when your best ideas come to life. The Wisdom Walks podcast and community is an inspired network of over 35,000 dedicated to exploring creative solutions to life's biggest challenges and opportunities. Enjoy listening to our podcast interviews coupled with wisdom from experts and leaders from all walks of life. In-person Wisdom Walks will be scheduled throughout the year. Receive actionable tips to become the leader you were meant to be. Enjoy ideas to be healthier, happier, and more successful. Learn from supportive guests that share wise and highly personal stories of transformation. We'll provide you with prompts and suggested songs to couple with your walks. I'm your host, Lee Mitchell, a community builder and brand strategist. Follow and listen to the Wisdom Walks podcast on your favorite social media platforms with hashtag Wisdom Walks Podcast. When you hear the Wisdom to Walk music, it's now time to speed up. Today, I'm honored to have a very special guest. Her name is Blake Schofield, and she is the founder of The Bridge to Fulfillment. And I would love to have her introduce herself and tell us a little more about what she does. Welcome, Blake. Thank you, Lee. I appreciate the opportunity to come on and, and chat with you and share, you know, my expertise and whatever, uh, you know, I have learned to be able to help others. Um, I often say, you know, I'm, I'm a working mom to three kiddos. Uh, I have actually a very busy household. My oldest is in high school. My middle is in middle school. And my when you hear the wisdom to walk music, it's now time to speed up. youngest is in elementary school, so we keep quite busy. Um, I'm a uh, former corporate executive. I spent 18 years in retail working for some of the biggest and best known uh, retailers out there, companies like uh, Target, uh, JCPenney, Neiman Marcus, Stitch Fix, um, and I am a wife to my college sweetheart. Oh, that's lovely. Uh, so tell me a bit about why you started your business given that you had such a successful corporate career, what, what was the impetus to want to go out on your own? Yeah. You know, I think often we start businesses to solve uh, the very problem that we had, or, or I guess I didn't really start it to solve it. I solved it and then realized that I was not alone, that I wasn't the only one suffering. And I think, you know, my journey truly like personally started all the way back in college when you know, I went into college as a psychology major. I was confident I was going to go get my PhD and, uh, and work in marriage and family psychology. And I hit my junior year and I started looking at what it would take to do that. And um, I started thinking to myself, wait a second, there are things about this that don't feel right. Like I actually want to pick who I work with and you can't really do that as a psychologist. And I don't want to have to move to this small town where there's a great school that I don't really want to live in because that's where my network is. Um, and, and I really don't want to work with people for years on the same topic. I want to do things that actually help them get momentum and quickly, you know, in a positive way, move forward. And so I was looking at that role and I was thinking something doesn't feel right here. And so I sort of went through a crisis and ended up uh, graduating and telling myself, well, I'll just go get a job. And then if that doesn't work out, I can go back and get my MBA. And a lot of friends and family told me, well, you're a people person, so you should go into human resources. 
And so I did, I spent my first couple of years in human resources and they were definitely parts that I liked, but I was looking at the career path and the roles. And I was saying, I don't see myself doing this for another 30 years. It just does not fit. My mom today says that I, um, know that I figured it out. I don't know that I was that wise of what it was. I just was looking and saying, I don't see this. I don't see it fitting. And so I went through another career crisis, um, ended up uh, moving into merchandising, feeling like, okay, running a business and dealing with customers and the products and all that will be really fun. And I spent 16 years in corporate merchandising, building, growing, and turning around, you know, seven and eight figure businesses. And there were a lot of pieces about my career that I loved. I was very successful doing what I did. I moved up much faster than most people and uh, really was uh, at, at the top in performance across companies. Like when I was at JCPenney, um, my team and I were the number two buying team out of 90 buyers in the entire company um, for sales and profit over plan. Uh, I consistently drove amazing results and I loved the win of being able to come in and understand the customer and build a business and see the gap in the market and then figure out not just how to grow the business, but how to reconfigure or build it from scratch in a way that would like um, completely blow the market out of its way. And that was always fun for me. But within this journey, what I would find is I was going through cycles sort of like being on a roller coaster, right? Mm -hmm. In my career, initially, it was this great, right? The trek up till you get to the top. And then it's amazing. You're like, oh yes, here I am. So successful. And (laughs) then I started to find and start to realize the things I had been sacrificing in my life, my kids, Mm -hmm. balance, you know, things that I just felt like um, I looked around and every other working mom seemed to be sacrificing. And so I would tell myself, well, this is just what it takes. If you have a successful job as a working mom, you can't have great work-life balance or you can't go to the kids' events or you have to sacrifice this for that. Um, But I was going through cycles over years of my career where I would um, move into a new role, be excited and passionate for the first six months or so, and then that would wear off. And then I would find myself back in this unsettled feeling. So then I would be back to the job boards trying to figure it out. Ultimately, of my 18-year career, I spent over a decade trying to figure out what else I could do. I was making six figures pretty early in my career. I made a lot more than my husband is the breadwinner. And everything I looked at looked like it was going to be a huge pay cut or a big step backwards starting over. And I just wasn't willing to accept that. So I kept making changes, kept changing companies, et cetera, hoping that it would make it better Um, until ultimately after two cross-country moves. I finally hit the camel that broke the straw's back, right? Or the straw that broke the camel's back. I often talk about probably the biggest lesson that I have had in my life and career is that I thought I was doing all of the right things. I thought I was being responsible. I thought I was taking care of my family by continuing on a path where I was successful, but I was unhappy. And again, not unhappy all the time. There were things that I really liked, but there were places where I knew if I died tomorrow, like uh, I wouldn't feel like I had fully lived, I guess is the best Mm. way to say it. And so what I came to realize is that the journey that I went on this, this, um, up and down roller coaster is so common. It's what most of us are doing. And it also helped me understand the phenomena of why I would work beside so many people that seemed uninterested and not passionate about their work. Why we ended up having to push people out of companies 
all of a sudden it all made sense to me. And here's what I learned, which ultimately then became the impetus of the business that I do today. What I learned is when we stay in a path that is misaligned with our values, our way of working, and the life we want to lead, ultimately, the longer we stay, the more risk we are creating for ourselves. Like I said, mm. I thought I was being responsible. I thought sucking it up and taking care of my family and doing all that was the right thing to do. I had zero clue that I was actually sitting essentially on a train track and I didn't see a train there. So I thought I'm fine. This, this train track doesn't work. But what eventually started to happen, right, is that my levels of frustration would increase. Things that didn't used to bother me started to bother me. The highs that I used to have became less high and shorter. And I spent more and more time frustrated, angry, irritated, um, feeling trapped in my job, feeling more and more like everything I looked at looked like it would be a huge sacrifice. And that was the, the beginning of the tipping point. And so what I want women to understand and what I really in my heart want to share is if you are in a path that's misaligned and you're finding yourself hoping the next thing will be better, increasing frustration, that is a sign and a symptom that your life is misaligned with your values, right? Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with you and you're not alone, but you need to make change happen because if you do not, and you do what I did, ultimately you will end up in what I call the breakdown moment, which one of two things will happen. Number one, you will either face such severe personal or emotional burnout that you will struggle just to even get to go back up to work the next day. And a lot of women do this and end up quitting because they just can't take it anymore. All right. Huge negative emotional and financial risk to your family. Or the second thing will happen. You will end up being put on a performance plan or a layoff, even if you've been a top performer your entire career. And I say that because we don't believe that happens. I think many of us think, oh, well, that only happens to people who aren't performers, but here's the reality. If you aren't passionate about what you're doing, if you're not energized about what you're doing, the world is moving far too fast today. And you can only hide that for so long before somebody else starts to know, right? And it starts to eat on you and you can't keep up with the cycle of the work and everything that you're doing. And so when that happens again, right, you're at huge risk because not only now is your job at risk and you have all of the pressures of that. There's a financial implication and there's an emotional implication of, oh my gosh, on your value, right? Like I thought it was so valuable and now I see I'm so replaceable. That's hard. But then beyond that, when you go, but I don't want to keep doing this job and I don't know what else I want to do. And so my business ultimately was born of a lifelong journey of trying to understand how I could do fulfilling and challenging work without sacrificing being present for my family really being able to enjoy my life um, and to feel like I was able to build the lifestyle from an income and in impact standpoint that I wanted to. Um, and so ultimately that's why we do the work that we do today. Mm, wow. That's such an incredible journey. And uh, I, I like what you said about the fact that ultimately people will start to notice if you're not fulfilled and, you know, think that you've tapped out. So when that happens, what, you know, how, how do you coach people to move forward? Yeah. So I often have a lot of women come to me that are either at that breakdown moment or it's happened. Um, sometimes I have women that it's happened. They tried to make a change on their own, hoped that it would make them happy. And then they end up back with me nine to 12 months later saying, 
oh my gosh, I now understand. I got that to that breakdown moment. I quit or ended up leaving this job. I moved into this other role and now I'm still unhappy, but now I'm underpaid because most of the time she, most of the time women are taking anywhere from 20 to $60,000 pay cuts to transition roles because they think that's the only option. And by the way, it's not my clients on average are getting 20% pay increases, but we've had a lot of women get 40, 50, 60. And in the last couple of months, we've had two women get 120% pay increases by moving into a role that's more fulfilling with better balance where they can make a bigger difference. But most of the time when you're doing it on your own, you don't know that. And you're hoping it's sort of like, I hope the grass is greener. Let me try this and see if it works. And then those women end up back with me saying, I feel unfulfilled, undervalued, underutilized, and I'm underpaid. What do I do? Mm -hmm. Um, So super common. And what I always talk about, right, is we want to, first of all, gain control. It's one of the first steps that we do in my program, The Bridge to Fulfillment, is really help women have the skills and tools to reclaim um, their time, their energy, and their mind. Mm. It's really important when you go through this, there can be a lot of things from an identity standpoint that come up, right? If you have identified a huge part of who you are by your job and your career, and you either feel like, wow, maybe I'm not that successful at it anymore because I've been put on a performance planner layoff, or you're like, I don't want to do that anymore, but I don't know who I am without it. It creates a lot of things that need to be addressed. So the first thing we're going to really look at is your resources from a time energy mind standpoint. And how do we gain control of those first? You have to do that in order to be able to truly get the clarity that you need to be able to align your life and work um, really around your skills, gifts, and passions. If you do not have that, um, that control over your time, your energy, and your mind, you're stuck in fight or flight syndrome. Mm. And anybody that knows about fight or flight syndrome, right? That happens when we're really stressed. We have a lot of anxiety. Or we've been trying to solve a problem for a long time and we can't. What happens literally is it shuts down your prefrontal cortex, which is your creative and problem solving part of your brain. And so literally you go blank or you just cannot uh, seem to solve the problem you need to solve. And often I find that's where women are, whether it is they've reached that breakdown moment or they're past the past what I call the trigger point, And they're on that journey is like, I don't know what the right next step is for me. I am not sure right? The right path where I know I will be happy and successful and it will be the right move. And a lot of that comes because we're stuck in that fight or flight mode. Um, and we, we need help to actually have somebody number one, get us out of it. But number two, help us see what we can't see, right? You often cannot see the label from inside the bottle. Mm, That's such a good point. So, you know, obviously a lot of women are going through transitions. They're, you know, feeling like they have to choose, uh, maybe they feel they have to support their families because, you know, it's so much unknown right now, even with uh, the vaccine available and many people taking it, there's still these variants out there. So, you know, they're really struggling and maybe they make a short-term decision that has a long-term impact. Um, so what, what are some of the trends and, and challenges that you're seeing in the current, um, workforce? Yeah, so great. I think there's, well, we know, right. COVID has really put the women's movement and equality movement back significantly. I think I heard the other day, something like 30 years Yeah, because so many women have left the workforce or felt that they had to sacrifice because, um, we are the ones that tend to be the caregivers, um, 
and are the first ones to kind of rush in to make sure that everybody's taken care of. Um, and that burden has just gotten to a place that, you know, in many cases was unbearable for a lot of women. So I think we saw a lot of that kind of happen early on where women were bowing out or leaving the workforce. I think we've also seen um, situations now where you have a real dichotomy happening in the industries, which I think is really fascinating. Forward, co- forward thinking companies who really understand how this pandemic shifted basically our mindset. I think what's really amazing, right? On one hand, it's really disappointing to see how much ground as women we've lost. On the other hand, one of the greatest benefits I see from what's happened with the pandemic is the first time ever, I think women collectively have started to say, wait a second, we deserve more. I'm not going to put up with this anymore. I'm going to ask for what I want, or I'm going to go somewhere else. And so we're in the middle of right what they're calling the great resignation, mm-hmm. which I think is that moment when people are like, nope, I'm just going to opt out. This is not for me. So I think we have this dichotomy happening in the industry where we have some companies that are really forward thinking and they get it and they're understanding the shift and they're creating environments that are the right work environments for the future, right? Where people have the ability to um, have more flexibility in how and when they work. And on the flip side, we have companies that are really traditional and they are bleeding employees. I just got off the phone with a, a woman earlier today, works in HR. I, I, that's definitely one of the industries I work with a lot of women. Um, I work with women across a lot of different uh, industries and different areas within business, but HR tends to be one uh, that I've worked with a lot of women in. And I've consistently heard how difficult that role has gotten and how painful it has been for women in HR because of the amount of people resigning, feeling like they don't have the ability really to make the changes inside the organization to stop that, right? To get it real aligned. And then now all of these COVID mandates and all of the paperwork and all of the things that they're having to deal with. And so the woman I talked to earlier was talking to me about what's happening inside her organization while her CEO refuses to change. She wants everyone to go back like it was pre-pandemic. And for a lot of people, that's a big no. And so that's really what I'm seeing happen. And like I said, I'm pleased to be able to see women now starting to say, wait a second, I deserve better work-life balance. And and I'm not willing to go back to the life that I had because it wasn't working for me. That's the first place, right? We have to decide what we're no longer willing to tolerate. Um, Really my mission in life is to change women's perspectives about what's possible for them and empower them with the skills and tools to um, create greater impact at home and at work without sacrificing their health, their time, their family, or their income. And I think that there's no better time, honestly, than now to do that. The momentum and everything is pushing in that arena. I just think we need to see and hear and understand more stories of women who have done this to recognize that it's possible for us to. I really like what you um, said about, I mean, I don't like it because it's sad, you know, that, that, um, that there's so many people in HR that are leaving, but it makes sense. Um, actually, I read a statistic that only 20% of um, HR, the HR community want to stay in their current roles. Uh, there, That was posted on LinkedIn. And I was like, yeah, that makes total sense because, you know, they say like, you know, you don't kill the messenger, but oftentimes that's what happens, right? You, you your frustration goes towards the person that has to enforce the rules or, and as you mentioned, if the company isn't 
kind of thinking about a, a human first <laughs> approach, like at Be Happy HR, the company that I started at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, I, I want to humanize HR services and think about my clients just as much as the applicant pool and really helping them to level up their skills. Um, notoriously, women r- are fine taking risks, uh, very challenging, and, you know, they'll only apply for something if they feel like they're almost overqualified. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've, you know, through the she recovery plan that we were doing where um, we were helping women to get strategic on their job search, we realized that oftentimes the one of the biggest issues was lack of confidence and feeling like they had to go for lesser roles, especially if they were transitioning. Um, so, you know, I love the fact that you mentioned that, you know, you, you found a way to help them get um, roles where they don't have to take a step back, you know, and so, you know, what, what are some of the steps that you have to do to coach them to be able to have the confidence and be willing to take that risk, both of, you know, feel fear of failure, but also, um, you know, maybe feel like I can't waste my time. I, I, I have to get back, you know, in the saddle and I'm willing to take a cut because I want to do something that I like that gives me more fulfillment. Yeah. So what's your, what's the bridge to fulfillment? <laughs> yeah. So, so many them. questions there. I'm going to try and break them out because I heard almost three distinctive questions in there. So I'm trying to break them out and hopefully answer them. So please bear with me and sure. loop back if I miss it. Yeah. But the first question you asked is, what do you do about women who today feel desperate that they have to take something to get back in? Right. And, mm-hmm. and here's what I would tell you. Look at the cost of that. We sometimes, and I would say most of the time, when you are making a decision in the short term, that's to your short-term benefit, it is to your long-term detriment most of the time. So I'll give you an example. Um, The average job search takes 12 months, right? That's what the average job search takes 12 months. Most women, when they go into the job search, have no idea that that's the case. They're not Mm -hmm. prepared for that. So number one, if you still have a job, right, um, you want to be trying to figure out how can I improve things so I can stay in this job and protect my financial resources. If you've already left, right, then you need to be looking at, and some of the work that I do with my clients is help them figure out how can I cut my expenses? How can I Mm -hmm. shore up my resources so I have the resources to make the right decision for me? Mm -hmm. And I think that's really, really important. Um, So the average job search takes 12 months. If you work with a career coach on average, they'll shave 40% of that time off. So seven, get you to a seven month job search instead of 12. What we do at the Bridge to Fulfillment. When you hear the wisdom to walk music, it's now time to speed up. We move our clients into the right role, not just the next one, 62.5% faster. Our clients on average are moving into their new roles within four and a half months. Now, what's amazing about that, if you think about it, right? And again, this is the cost for them kind of going in and I'll loop back. What's amazing about that and I want to kind of think about is, right? When you're looking on your own, you're looking for what's the next role. I just got to move to the next thing. Not all, but many 
of the people that you'll work with from a career coach standpoint are saying, okay, here's your skills and your background. And then therefore here's a similar role you should move into. Again, if you're unfulfilled, that's probably not going to get you to the right role versus what we do. We've actually had women transition into entirely different jobs, entirely different industries in that time frame. So not as only is it faster, right, but it's actually the right move and a more significant move usually. So why do I share this in the context of what do you do when you're out of work, right? When we are out of work or we're stressed about money, we make decisions based on prioritizing our money today. One of the biggest mistakes I see because you're not actually seeing the long-term impact. So what I see very traditionally people out of work or laid off and they're like, I got to protect my money because I don't know how long it's going to take me to get a job, (laughs) but they're not understanding. Okay. You go your traditional on your own. It's a year of your income. So let's say you make a hundred thousand dollars. Now your average job search, a hundred grand gone. Number two, then you're likely to take a pay cut. Like I said, it's what I see consistently. So now you're down 120 to 160,000 if you're an average woman doing this process. That's year one, year one, right? Then you start looking at what happens year two and year three as you continue with that pay cut. And you learn very, very quickly, that is very costly. It's a very costly decision to do it on your own. But if you're not seeing it that way, you're thinking, I got to protect what I have, right? Mm-hmm. On the flip side, I would tell you like in, in the case, I'll give you right an average example of my client. So my client comes to me and is like, right. I don't know what the right thing is. I'm not sure what the right next move is. Four and a half months later has already landed a role. So she saved tens. I think it's over $60,000 if you were to look at it that way, right. Protected. Then right. my clients on average are getting 20% pay increases. So now three years from now, she's made 60 grand more plus the 60 grand or so she saved. And she's actually not going to be back doing this cycle again, spending hours and hours and hours of her life job searching and going through it. And so what would I tell somebody who's out of work or in that situation, who's not having traction in the job search or is unclear, the best investment you can ever make is getting help, period. The most costly thing you can do is to try to solve this on your own, because not only will it financially cost you, not only will it cost you from a time standpoint, it will cost you significantly from a confidence and an emotional standpoint, but it's not just going to be that if you don't actually get to the root cause of why you were unfulfilled and you don't move to the right next role, I can guarantee you will be back in the same place within nine to 24 months doing the same cycle again. Mm. Right. And, and that is what I experienced. That is what I've seen now hundreds of times with women. And I think it's a huge part of why what we do is so different is we see the big picture, holistic understanding of how all of these elements are moving together um, and to help understand and fix the root cause up front. So you don't keep doing this cycle. I mean, I, I moved cross country multiple times. I had five different, I worked for five different companies across 18 years because I kept solving what I thought was the problem without ever really getting to the root cause. So how did you do that work for yourself? Uh, it was a very long and very painful journey, to be honest, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I would say I probably spent months or years of my life on LinkedIn and job searching. Mm-hmm. I read every book I could get my hands on about finding your purpose and how mm-hmm. you could transition into something different. Um, I studied lots of different kinds of industries. I considered going back to college. I talked to friends and family um, who most of which looked at me and said, why aren't you happy? 
Like you have all of this stuff. You should be happy or you should just go get a hobby or you should, you should worry less about work, which then gives you a, 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 a feeling of honestly, I felt like guilt and shame. Like, mm. yeah, I do make all of this money and there are people that would die to have the job or the life that I have. So I should just be happy. What's wrong with me? Maybe I will never be happy. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I get emotional telling you that because that feeling that, um, I was alone and that it was me, mm-hmm. um, was devastating. And I lived with that for years to a point where like, I would stop talking to friends or family about it. Um, sometimes I wouldn't, uh, go to social events because I was, um, so frustrated or so upset or so, um, I just couldn't shut work off. And I, I didn't want to pretend, right. I didn't want to put yeah. on the face that everything was fine, but I also didn't feel like I could really talk to people about it because they didn't understand, Yeah, you know, when you, when you're at the top of, um, the work that you do and people look at you and go, oh my gosh, you're the pinnacle of a working mom, right? Working mom and, you know, director level doing all of this. You have three kids, you get to do your kids events, all of this. People looked at me and thought, well, she has it all. And what they didn't understand was underneath all of that was all of this other stuff I was dealing with, all of these unsettled feelings, this roller coaster of um, feeling like I should be doing something different, but really honestly feeling trapped because I was so successful doing what I was doing. Yeah, that's a really good point. I I know that there's statistics. I'm not sure what they are exactly, but um, there's something to be said for how terrible it is for uh, for someone to leave a position because they are so frustrated and they don't have something to go to, and they're 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 embarrassed. They feel shame. And so uh, I think there's a lot of people that are in that boat right now. So I think you're, what you're saying is really speaking to probably a huge portion of, of people that left without something to go to, you know, like, did I do the right thing? Questioning, Mm -hmm. questioning yourself and feeling embarrassed. And then as time keeps ticking, then you're getting more and more anxious and, you know, and, and like very good chance that you're going to repeat that cycle that you referred to, which which is a really a sad thing. Yeah. It's um, devastating. I mean, yeah. think about how much time we spend in our careers and beyond that, yeah. how much time outside of our job we're doing exactly what you talked about. I call it the mental loop, right? We're, yeah. we're constantly questioning. Did I do the right thing? Was that the wrong thing? Should I do this other thing instead? Is this going to turn out? Okay. What terrible thing is going to happen to me? It's like the mental spiral. Yeah. Um, and what I would say is if you get to a point in your job or your career where you feel like your only option is to quit, right? You're doing so likely because from a mental health standpoint, it's what you need to do, right? And so feeling guilty about today, I'm honored to have a very special guest. Her name is Blake Schofield, and she is the founder of the Bridge to Fulfillment. And I would love to have her introduce herself and tell us a little more about what she does. Welcome, Blake. Thank you, Lee. I appreciate the opportunity to come on and, and chat with you and share, you know, my expertise and whatever, uh, you know, I have learned to be able to help others. 
Um, I often say, you know, I'm, I'm a working mom to three kiddos. Uh, I have actually a very busy household. My oldest is in high school. My middle is in middle school and my youngest is in elementary school. So we keep quite busy. Um, I'm a, a former corporate executive. I spent 18 years in retail working for some of the biggest and best known uh, retailers out there, companies like uh, Target, uh, JCPenney, Neiman Marcus, Stitch Fix. Um, and I am a wife to my college sweetheart. Oh, that's lovely. Uh, so tell me a bit about why you started your business, given that you had such a successful corporate career. What, what was the impetus to want to go out on your own? Yeah, you know, I think often we start businesses to solve uh, the very problem that we had, or, or I guess I didn't really start it to solve it. I solved it and then realized that I was not alone, that I wasn't the only one suffering. And I think, you know, my journey truly like personally started all the way back in college when, you know, I went into college as a psychology major, I was confident I was going to go get my PhD and, uh, and work in marriage and family psychology. And I hit my junior year and I started looking at what it would take to do that. And, um, I started thinking to myself, wait a second, there are things about this that don't feel right. Like I actually want to pick who I work with and you can't really do that as a psychologist. And I don't want to have to move to this small town where there's a great school that I don't really want to live in because that's where my network is. Um, and, and I really don't want to work with people for years on the same topic. I want to do things that actually help them get momentum and quickly, you know, in a positive way, move forward. And so I was looking at that role and I was thinking something doesn't feel right here. And so I sort of went through a crisis and ended up uh, graduating and telling myself, well, I'll just go get a job. And then if that doesn't work out, I can go back and get my MBA. And a lot of friends and family told me, well, you're a people person, so you should go into human resources. And so I did. I spent my first couple of years in human resources, and they were definitely parts that I liked. But I was looking at the career path and the roles, and I was saying, I don't see myself doing this for another 30 years. It just does not fit. My mom today says that I... Um, I don't know that I figured it out. I don't know that I was that wise of what it was. I just was looking and saying, I don't see this. I don't see it fitting. And so I went through another career crisis, um, ended up uh, moving into merchandising, feeling like, okay, running a business and dealing with customers and the product and all that will be really fun. And I spent 16 years in corporate merchandising, building, growing, and turning around, you know, seven and eight figure businesses. And there were a lot of pieces about my career that I loved. I was very successful doing what I did. I moved up much faster than most people and uh, really was uh, at, at the top in performance across companies. Like when I was at JCPenney, um, my team and I were the number two buying team out of 90 buyers in the entire company um, for sales and profit over plan. Uh, I consistently drove amazing results and I loved the win of being able to come in and understand the customer and build a business and see the gap in the market and then figure out not just how to grow the business, but how to reconfigure or build it from scratch in a way that would like um, completely blow the market out of its way. And that was always fun for me. But within this journey, what I would find is I was going through cycles sort of like being on a roller coaster, right? Mm -hmm. In my career, initially, it was this great, right? The trek up till you get to the top. And then it's amazing. You're like, oh yes, here I am. So successful. 
And (laughs) then I started to find and start to realize the things I had been sacrificing in my life, my kids Mm. balance, you know, things that I just felt like, um, I looked around and every other working mom seemed to be sacrificing. And so I would tell myself, well, this is just what it takes. If you have a successful job as a working mom, you can't have great work-life balance, or you can't go to the kids events, or you have to sacrifice this for that. Um, but I was going through cycles over years of my career where I would um, move into a new role, be excited and passionate for the first six months or so. And then that would wear off. And then I would find myself back in this unsettled feeling. So then I would be back to the job boards, trying to figure it out. Ultimately of my 18 year career, I spent over a decade trying to figure out what else I could do. I was making six figures pretty early in my career. I made a lot more than my husband is the breadwinner and everything I looked at looked like it was going to be a huge pay cut or a big step backwards starting over. And I just wasn't willing to accept that. So I kept making changes, kept changing companies, et cetera, hoping that it would make it better Um, until ultimately after two cross country moves, I finally hit the camel that broke the straw's back, right? Or the straw that broke the camel's back. I often talk about probably the biggest lesson that I have had in my life and career is that I thought I was doing all of the right things. I thought I was being responsible. I thought I was taking care of my family by continuing on a path where I was successful, but I was unhappy. And again, not unhappy all the time. There were things that I really liked, but there were places where I knew if I died tomorrow, like uh, I wouldn't feel like I had fully lived, I guess is the best Mm. way to say it. And so what I came to realize is that the journey that I went on this, this um, up and down roller coaster is so common. It's what most of us are doing. And it also helped me understand the phenomena of why I would work beside so many people that seemed un- uninterested and un- not passionate about their work, why we ended up having to push people out of companies. All of a sudden it all made sense to me. And here's what I learned, which ultimately then became the impetus of the business that I do today. What I learned is when we stay in a path that is misaligned with our values, our way of working and the life we want to lead Ultimately, the longer we stay, the more risk we are creating for ourselves. Like I said, Mm. I thought I was being responsible. I thought sucking it up and taking care of my family and doing all that was the right thing to do. I had zero clue that I was actually sitting essentially on a train track and I didn't see a train there. So I thought I'm fine. This, this train track doesn't work, but what eventually started to happen, right? Is that my levels of frustration would increase. Things that didn't used to bother me started to bother me. The highs that I used to have became less high and shorter. And I spent more and more time frustrated, angry, irritated, um, feeling trapped in my job, feeling more and more like everything I looked at looked like it would be a huge sacrifice. And that was the, the beginning of the tipping point. And so what I want women to understand and what I really in my heart want to share is If you are in a path that's misaligned and you're finding yourself hoping the next thing will be better, increasing frustration, that is a sign and a symptom that your life is misaligned with your values, right? Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with you and you're not alone, but you need to make change happen because if you do not and you do what I did, ultimately you will end up in what I call the breakdown moment, which one of two things will happen. Number one, you will either face such severe personal or emotional burnout that you will struggle just to even get to go back up to work the next day. And a lot of women do this and end up quitting because they just can't take it anymore. 
right? Huge negative emotional and financial risk to your family. Or the second thing will happen. You will end up being put on a performance plan or a layoff, even if you've been a top performer your entire career. And I say that because we don't believe that happens. I think many of us think, oh, well, that only happens to people who aren't performers. But here's the reality. If you aren't passionate about what you're doing, if you're not energized about what you're doing, the world is moving far too fast today. And you can only hide that for so long before somebody else starts to know, right? And it starts to eat on you and you can't keep up with the cycle of the work and everything that you're doing. And so when that happens again, right, you're at huge risk because not only now is your job at risk and you have all of the pressures of that, there's a financial implication and there's an emotional implication of, oh my gosh, on your value, right? Like I thought it was so valuable and now I see I'm so replaceable. That's hard. But then beyond that, when you go, but I don't want to keep doing this job and I don't know what else I want to do. And so my business ultimately was born of a lifelong journey of trying to understand how I could do fulfilling and challenging work without sacrificing being present for my family, really being able to enjoy my life um, and to feel like I was able to build the lifestyle from an income and impact standpoint that I wanted to. Um, and so ultimately that's why we do the work that we do today. Mm, wow. That's such an incredible journey. And, uh, uh, I like what you said about the fact that ultimately people will start to notice if you're not fulfilled and, you know, think that you've tapped out. So when that happens, what, you know, how, how do you coach people to move forward? Yeah. So I often have a lot of women come to me that are either at that breakdown moment or it's happened. Um, and sometimes I have women that it's happened. They tried to make a change on their own, hoped that it would make them happy. And then they end up back with me nine to 12 months later saying, oh my gosh, I now understand. I got that to that breakdown moment. I quit or ended up leaving this job. I moved into this other role and now I'm still unhappy, but now I'm underpaid because most of the time, she, most of the time women are taking anywhere from 20 to $60,000 pay cuts to transition roles because they think that's the only option. And by the way, it's not my clients on average are getting 20% pay increases, but we've had a lot of women get 40, 50, 60. And in the last couple of months, we've had two women get 120% pay increases by moving into a role that's more fulfilling with better balance where they can make a bigger difference. But most of the time when you're doing it on your own, you don't know that. And you're hoping it's sort of like, I hope the grass is greener. Let me try this and see if it works. And then those women end up back with me saying, I feel unfulfilled, undervalued, underutilized, and I'm underpaid. What do I do? Mm -hmm. um, so super common. And what I always talk about, right, is we want to, first of all, gain control. It's one of the first steps that we do in my program, The Bridge to Fulfillment, is really help women have the skills and tools to reclaim um, their time, their energy, and their mind. It's really important when you go through this, there can be a lot of things from an identity standpoint that come up, right? If you have identified a huge part of who you are by your job and your career, and you either feel like, wow, maybe I'm not that successful at it anymore because I've been put on a performance plan or layoff, or you're like, I don't want to do that anymore, but I don't know who I am without it. It creates a lot of things that need to be addressed. So the first thing we're going to really look at is your resources from a time, energy, mind standpoint, and how do we gain control of those first? You have to do that in order to be able to truly get the clarity that you need 
to be able to align your life and work um, really around your skills, gifts, and passions. If you do not have that, um, that control over your time, your energy, and your mind, you're stuck in fight or flight syndrome. Mm. And anybody that knows about fight or flight syndrome, right? That happens when we're really stressed. We have a lot of anxiety or we've been trying to solve a problem for a long time and we can't. What happens literally is it shuts down your prefrontal cortex, which is your creative and problem solving part of your brain. And so literally you go blank or you just cannot uh, seem to solve the problem you need to solve. And often I find that's where women are, whether it is they've reached that breakdown moment or they're past the past, what I call the trigger point, And they're on that journey is like, I don't know what the right next step is for me. I am not sure, right. The right path where I know I will be happy and successful and it will be the right move. And a lot of that comes because we're stuck in that fight or flight mode. Um, and we, we need help to actually have somebody number one, get us out of it. But number two, help us see what we can't see, right? You often cannot see the label from inside the bottle. Mm, That's such a good point. So, you know, obviously a lot of women are going through transitions. They're, you know, feeling like they have to choose. Uh, Maybe they feel they have to support their families because, you know, it's so much unknown right now, even with, uh, the vaccine available and many people taking it, there's still these variants out there. So, you know, they're really struggling and maybe they make a short-term decision that has a long-term impact. Um, so what, what are some of the trends and, and challenges that you're seeing in the current um, workforce? Yeah, so great. I think there's, well, we know, right. COVID has really put the women's movement and equality movement back significantly. I think I heard the other day, something like 30 years Yeah, because so many women have left the workforce or felt that they had to sacrifice because, um, we are the ones that tend to be the caregivers, um, and are the first ones to kind of rush in to make sure that everybody's taken care of. Um, and that burden has just gotten to a place that, you know, in many cases was unbearable for a lot of women. So I think we saw a lot of that kind of happen early on where women were bowing out or leaving the workforce. I think we've also seen, um, situations now where you have a real dichotomy happening in the industries, which I think is really fascinating forward, forward thinking companies who really understand how this pandemic shifted basically our mindset. I think what's really amazing, right? On one hand, it's really disappointing to see how much ground as women we've lost. On the other hand, one of the greatest benefits I see from what's happened with the pandemic is the first time ever, I think women collectively have started to say, wait a second, we deserve more. I'm not going to put up with this anymore. I'm going to ask for what I want, or I'm going to go somewhere else. And so we're in the middle of, right, what they're calling the great resignation, mm-hmm. which I think is that moment when people are like, nope, I'm just going to opt out. This is not for me. So I think we have this dichotomy happening in the industry where we have some companies that are really forward thinking and they get it and they're understanding the shift and they're creating environments that are the right work environments for the future, right? Where people have the ability to um, have more flexibility in how and when they work. And on the flip side, we have companies that are really traditional and they are bleeding employees. I just got off the phone with a a woman earlier today, works in HR. That's definitely one of the industries I work with a lot of women 
Um, I work with women across a lot of different uh, industries and different areas within business, but HR tends to be one uh, that I've worked with a lot of women in. And I've consistently heard how difficult that role has gotten and how painful it has been for women in HR because of the amount of people resigning, feeling like they don't have the ability really to make the changes inside the organization to stop that, right, to get it real aligned. And then now all of these COVID mandates and all of the paperwork and all of the things that they're having to deal with. And so the woman I talked to earlier was talking to me about what's happening inside her organization while her CEO refuses to change. She wants everyone to go back like it was pre-pandemic. And for a lot of people, that's a big no. And so that's really what I'm seeing happen. And like I said, I'm pleased to be able to see women now starting to say, wait a second, I deserve better work-life balance. And and I'm not willing to go back to the life that I had because it wasn't working for me. That's the first place, right? We have to decide what we're no longer willing to tolerate. Um, Really my mission in life is to change women's perspectives about what's possible for them and empower them with the skills and tools to Um, create greater impact at home and at work without sacrificing their health, their time, their family, or their income. And I think that there's no better time, honestly, than now to do that. The momentum and everything is pushing in that arena. I just think we need to see and hear and understand more stories of women who have done this to recognize that it's possible for us too. I really like what you um, said about, I mean, I don't like it because it's sad, you know, that, that, um, that there's so many people in HR that are leaving, but it makes sense. Um, Actually, I read a statistic that only 20% of um, HR, the HR community want to stay in their current roles. Uh, There, that was posted on LinkedIn. And I was like, yeah, that makes total sense because, you know, they say like, you know, don't kill the messenger, but oftentimes that's what happens, right? You, You, your frustration goes towards the person that has to enforce the rules or, and as you mentioned, if the company isn't kind of thinking about a a human first (laughs) approach, like at Be Happy HR, the company that I started at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, I, I want to humanize HR services and think about my client's just as much as the applicant pool and really helping them to level up their skills. Um, Notoriously, women are fine taking risks, uh, very challenging, and, you know, they'll only apply for something if they feel like they're almost overqualified. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I've, you know, through the She Recovery Plan that we were doing where um, we were helping women to get strategic on their job search, we realized that oftentimes the one of the biggest issues was lack of confidence and feeling like they had to go for lesser roles, especially if they were transitioning. Um, so, you know, I love the fact that you mentioned that, you know, you, you found a way to help them get um, roles where they don't have to take a step back, you know. And so, you know, what what are some of the steps that you have to do to coach them? to be able to have the confidence and be willing to take that risk, both of, you know, feel fear of failure, but also, um, you know, maybe feel like I can't waste my time. I, I, I have to get back, you know, in the saddle and I'm willing to take a cut because I want to do something that I like that gives me more fulfillment. 
So what's your, what's the bridge to fulfillment? (laughs) Yeah. So so many questions there. I'm going to try and break them out because I heard almost three distinctive questions in there. So I'm trying to break them out and hopefully answer them. So please bear with me and loop back if I miss it. Yeah. But the first question you asked is, what do you do about women who today feel desperate that they have to take something to get back in? Right. And, Mm -hmm. and here's what I would tell you, look at the cost of that. We sometimes, and I would say most of the time, when you are making a decision in the short term, that's to your short-term benefit, it is to your long-term detriment most of the time. So I'll give you an example. Um, The average job search takes 12 months, right? That's what the average job search takes 12 months. Most women, when they go into the job search, have no idea that that's the case. They're not Mm -hmm. prepared for that. So number one, if you still have a job, right, um, you want to be trying to figure out how can I improve things so I can stay in this job and protect my financial resources. If you've already left, right, then you need to be looking at, and some of the work that I do with my clients is help them figure out how can I cut my expenses? How can I Mm -hmm. shore up my resources so I have the resources to make the right decision for me? Mm -hmm. And I think that's really, really important. Um, so the average job search takes 12 months. If you work with a career coach on average, they'll shave 40% of that time off. So seven, it gets you to a seven month job search instead of 12. What we do at the Bridge to Fulfillment, we move our clients into the right role, not just the next one, 62.5% faster. Mm. Our clients on average are moving into their new roles within four and a half months. Now, wow. what's amazing about that, if you think about it, right? And again, this is the cost for them kind of going in and I'll loop back. What's amazing about that, and I want to kind of think about is, right, when you're looking on your own, you're looking for what's the next role. I just got to move to the next thing. Not all, but many of the people that you'll work with from a career coach standpoint are saying, okay, here's your skills and your background. And then therefore, here's a similar role you should move into. Again, if you're unfulfilled, that's probably not going to get you to the right role versus what we do. We've actually had women transition into entirely different jobs, entirely different industries, in that time frame, So not as only is it faster, right? But it's actually the right move and a more significant move usually. So why do I share this in the context of what do you do when you're out of work, right? When we are out of work or we're stressed about money, we make decisions based on prioritizing our money today. One of the biggest mistakes I see mm. because you're not actually seeing the long-term impact. So what I see very traditionally, people out of work or laid off and they're like, I got to protect my money because I don't know how long it's going to take me to get a job. but they're not understanding. Okay. You go your traditional on your own. It's a year of your income. So let's say you make a hundred thousand dollars. Now your average job search, a hundred grand gone. Number two, then you're likely to take a pay cut. Like I said, it's what I see consistently. So now you're down 120 to 160,000. If you're an average woman doing this process, that's year one, year one right? Then you start looking at what happens year two and year three as you continue with that pay cut. And you learn very, very quickly. That is very costly. It's a very costly decision to do it on your own. But if you're not seeing it that way, you're thinking, I got to protect what I have, right? Mm-hmm. On the flip side, I would tell you like in, in the case, I'll give you right an average example of my client. So my client comes to me and is like, right, I don't know what the right thing is. I'm not sure what the right next move is. Four and a half months later, has already landed a role. 
So she saved tens. I think it's over $60,000 if you were to look at it that way, right? Protected. Then right. my clients on average are getting 20% pay increases. So now three years from now, she's made 60 grand more plus the 60 grand or so she saved. And she's actually not going to be back doing this cycle again, spending hours and hours and hours of her life job searching and going through it. And so what would I tell somebody who's out of work or in that situation, who's not having traction in the job search or is unclear, the best investment you can ever make is getting help, period. The most costly thing you can do is to try to solve this on your own, because not only will it financially cost you, not only will it cost you from a time standpoint, it will cost you significantly from a confidence and an emotional standpoint, but it's not just going to be that if you don't actually get to the root cause of why you were unfulfilled and you don't move to the right next role, I can guarantee you will be back in the same place within nine to 24 months doing the same cycle again. Mm. Right. And, and that is what I experienced. That is what I've seen now hundreds of times with women. And I think it's a huge part of why what we do is so different is we see the big picture, holistic understanding of how all of these elements are moving together um, and to help understand and fix the root cause up front. So you don't keep doing this cycle. I mean, I, I moved cross country multiple times. I had five different, I worked for five different companies across 18 years because I kept solving what I thought was the problem without ever really getting to the root cause. So how did you do that work for yourself? Uh, it was a very long and very painful journey, to be honest, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I would say I probably spent months or years of my life on LinkedIn and job searching. Mm -hmm. I read every book I could get my hands on about finding your purpose and how mm -hmm. you could transition into something different. Um, I studied lots of different kinds of industries. I considered going back to college. I talked to friends and family um, who most of which looked at me and said, why aren't you happy? Like you have all of this stuff. You should be happy or you should just go get a hobby or you should, you should worry less about work, which then gives you a, 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 a feeling of honestly, I felt like guilt and shame. Like, mm. yeah, I do make all of this money and there are people that would die to have the job or the life that I have. So I should just be happy. What's wrong with me? Maybe I will never be happy. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and I get emotional telling you that because that feeling that, um, I was alone and that it was me, mm -hmm. um, was devastating. And I lived with that for years to a point where like, I would stop talking to friends or family about it. Um, sometimes I wouldn't, uh, go to social events because I was, um, so frustrated. When you hear the wisdom to walk music, it's now time to speed up. so upset or so, um, I just couldn't shut work off. And I, I didn't want to pretend, right. I didn't want to put yeah. on the face that everything was fine, but I also didn't feel like I could really talk to people about it because they didn't understand, Yeah, you know, when you, when you're at the top of, um, the work that you do and people look at you and go, Oh my gosh, you're the pinnacle of a working mom, right? Working mom and, you know, director level doing all of this. You have three kids, you get to do your kids events, all of this. People looked at me and thought, well, she has it all. And what they didn't understand was underneath all of that was all of this other stuff I was dealing with all of these unsettled feelings, this roller coaster of, um, feeling like I should be doing something different, but really honestly feeling trapped because I was so successful doing what I was doing. Yeah, it's a really good point. I, I know that there's statistics. I, I'm not sure 
what they are exactly, but um, there's something to be said for how terrible it is for uh, for someone to leave a position because they are so frustrated and they don't have something to go to, and they're 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 embarrassed, they feel shame, and so a, I think there's a lot of people that are in that boat right now. So I think you're what you're saying is really speaking to probably a huge portion of, of people that left without something to go to, you know, like, did I do the right thing? Questioning, Mm -hmm. questioning yourself and feeling embarrassed. And then as time keeps ticking, then you're getting more and more anxious and, you know, and, and like very good chance that you're going to repeat that cycle that you referred to, which, which is a really a sad thing. Yeah. It's Um, devastating. I mean, think about how much time we spend in our careers and beyond that, how much time outside of our job we're doing exactly what you talked about. I call it the mental loop, right? We're, yeah. we're constantly questioning. Did I do the right thing? Was that the wrong thing? Should I do this other thing instead? Is this going to turn out? Okay. What terrible thing is going to happen to me? It's like the mental spiral. Yeah. Um, and what I would say is if you get to a point in your job or your career, where you feel like your only option is to quit, right? You're doing so likely because from a mental health standpoint, it's what you need to do. Right. And Mm -hmm. so feeling guilty about that to me is a waste of time because it will not move you forward. Mm -hmm. Instead, recognize that you did the best that you could with the information that you had. Yes. Right. Cause I have so many women come to me and go, Oh my gosh, if I had met you, it would have right. Three to four weeks in my program. It's like clockwork. Um, the work that we do with our clients to help them gain control. They feel like totally different people, even in the same job right? Wow. Where there is light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, I had a client once say that her stress was reduced by 70, seven, zero percent within the first mm-hmm. month of the program. And so oftentimes I have women come to me and say, I wish I had known you before. I feel so bad that I made this decision. And I'm like, you know what? It's okay. You are where you are, right? And you did what you felt at the time and what information you had at the time was best for you. But then the question that you have to ask yourself is then what's next? Because staying in that cycle of questioning and doubting yourself will waste a lot of time and energy mm-hmm. and actually won't solve the ultimate, the ultimate root cause of your problem or what you're trying to solve. If you left, it's because things were misaligned. So make sure that when you're taking this time that you're really getting the support and the, you know, the tools to make sure that the next move is the right one. Cause that's the best thing you can do for yourself, your career and your family, mm-hmm. because when you're in the right role, right. in the right company aligned, your career trajectory is much faster and much higher. Mm-hmm. And so you can look back on this. Like I look back at some of my toughest times and go, you know what? That was a good lesson. It was tough. It was hard. I would not want to repeat the worst year of my career ever. You cannot pay me enough money to repeat that. <laughs> um, but I'm grateful for it because it taught me lessons and it's enabled me to be who I am today. And so I would just say that to any woman who's listening, who feels like maybe she's doubting that she made the wrong decision, or maybe she feels guilty because she's, um, feels like she should be supporting her family in a way right now that she's not is right. You you did the best that you could with the information you have. Now, how do you take it and move forward Mm -hmm. to actually create the outcome that will get you what you want? Right. And, and I just really want to encourage women. So many women I talk to wonder if what they want is possible. Uh, it's a very common thing. Like maybe what I want isn't possible. It doesn't exist. And I'll tell you 99% of the time it does. 
And in fact, what you're asking for, you could get far more than what you're asking for. Um, that's consistently what I find. Um, and so I just want to encourage the women listening today that if it feels challenging or you don't feel like it exists, it's because you have a limited perspective or knowledge and getting with somebody who's done what you want to do, right. And can help you successfully navigate it. That is the fastest way to be able to create the future you want. Because if you don't do that, what I see, right. Is you'll be back in the cycle. Cause you're going to compromise. You're going to go, well, there's some parts about this company, this job I like, but I really don't like this thing, but I can probably live with it. Hello. That is a sign. I can guarantee you, you will, that thing that you think, well, I could probably live with it. It's probably going to be the thing that starts to like, it's almost like you got a nail in your foot, right? And every time you start walking over a period of time, it will start bleeding and it will hurt and it will become to a point where it's like all you can think about. Um, those signs when you have at the beginning interview are telling you it's not the right fit. Oh, it's, I'm so glad you brought that up because, uh, you know, I, I had being an entrepreneur, there's been times where, well, in the, in the one particular situation where I took a, a role, um, well, I was still self-employed and it was self-employed role, but, um, it was very much like being an employee and everything was telling me in the job interview that, there was going to be some trouble with the way I was going to interact with the person that was in charge. And, you know, they were cutting me off in the interview and I was just getting all of these like signs that this wasn't the right thing. So the way I dealt with it was I asked for a lot more money than I thought they would give me so that I could, you know, I didn't, I don't know. It was like, I didn't want to turn it down, but at the same time I knew deep down that it wasn't the best thing for me. So in the end, I took the job because I got what I asked for, which I thought, oh, okay, well, you know, I can put up with this and we'll see how it goes. And, you know, I can win this person over. And uh, what I found was, you know, I had to, when I did decide to leave about a year after, um, I went through a big core values exercise to figure out like what went wrong because it seemed like my dream job. Um, in an industry that I love, but there just, there was a misalignment and my intuition was telling me that if this wasn't going to be the right move. So I'm just curious, do you find that a lot of your clients say that they wish they had listened to their intuition? Do, do women have a hard time, like feeling mm-hmm. like they can't listen to their intuition? One, maybe yeah, one, not sure if it's, is it fear or is it intuition? <laughs> yeah, 100%. So what you describe is what I, uh, you taking this job and thinking, well, the money will make it worth it. Good gracious. I can't tell you how many times <laughs> I have heard that story, seen that story, um, experienced that story where you think that the extra money will make you happy and it, it doesn't, right? Because the, the other things eventually take over. And why do we do that? I think we do that because we have a scarcity mentality. Mm. We believe that there are only so many options. And if we pass up on this one, there will not be another one. Mm -hmm. But what I want, what I want more people to understand is there's far more abundance in the world than you could ever utilize. And every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. So when you are going and saying yes, after something that is not the right fit, you aren't allowing yourself the time, energy, your space to find the thing that actually will be the right fit for you. And Mm -hmm. I celebrate when my clients go, you know what? I had an interview or I had a networking and this is not the right fit for me. And I am going to pass up on it because I know then they get it. 
And through that, they're going to have the right mentality to focus their energy on the right opportunities. And then the right opportunities will have the space and time to come to them. So I just would love to hit on that first. Then the second thing you asked me was, um, remind me, what was it that you asked? You said, uh, it was a situation about, because you talked about your situation that you said, do I find that women? Oh yeah. Do you find that women, um, have a hard time following their intuition? Like do many of your clients not follow their intuition and do they get confused with thinking, well, no, I'm just, I'm just being fearful. It's not because I, because I started to think maybe that was the situation, right? I started to like, you know, try to come up with a reason why, (laughs) excuse me, a reason why I needed to take this job. And part of it is justify We try to justify not listening to our intuition. So this is such a great topic. I uh, believe very strongly in learning how to listen to your inner voice. And once you have learned how to separate, is this fear or is this what I know from my intuition? It's incredibly, incredibly powerful. In fact, this morning I woke up with just this immediate, like, you need to go do this thing. And I was like, okay, I'm going to just go do it. I have gotten to a place where I trust my inner voice. I understand what it's telling me and, and where to go. And even if I don't have all of the information, I just, I have the data that proves time and time and time again, when I listen to my intuition, it's right. Um, but mm-hmm. it took me a while to learn how to do that. Um, I definitely was the woman who was always second guessing my intuition, um, always in the mental loops, uh, overthinking and, uh, I think as women and as a society in general, um, well, I, I guess I'll come back it up as a society in general. I think we have been taught not to trust our own tuition. We've been taught that everything has to be vetted and proved. And I think our corporations, which were mainly built by men, right. Mm-hmm. That as women going into those corporations, we've been told it's not okay to be emotional, It's not okay to make decisions this way. You have to prove everything. And so we have grown up in environments where it's like, don't be emotional, prove X, Y, Z. You have to have all of this data. And so anytime we've had emotions, we then look to have the data to prove that that is true or not true. Um, And so I think we've over ramped on that. I love data. I am a data girl day in, day out. Um, (laughs) It helps me make most decisions, but what I've also learned is that your intuition is also data. It's just more deeply buried where your subconscious and conscious are connecting facts and data that you don't know. Wow. And so you haven't been able to like fully comprehend what's happening. And so we end up in these loops unnecessarily. So to your point, how do I know though, is it intuition or is it fear, right? Is, is separating that out, right? Um, is this decision, am I making this decision because I'm scared? that something bad will happen, that I will be judged, that I won't have any other opportunities, that I will fail. If that is the case, right, then that's the wrong decision. Any decision that you are making out of fear instead of possibility is never going to be in your best interest, unless literally you're sitting there and somebody has a gun. And I mean, then of course, right. Um, But in general, When you are looking at a decision and you are choosing to act or not act based on fear, it's almost always wrong. And I think one of the things I've really learned over these last couple of years as an entrepreneur is what fear really is telling me and what it really is. I think we've never been taught to deal with fear. 
Um, and I think honestly, as parents, we raise our children to be fearful of us or fearful of things so that they don't do those very things. But fear is an emotion, just like anything else, like happiness, like sadness, you know, it, it is just an emotion. It doesn't have any more power than anything else unless we give it that power. Yeah. It's right? not and a we, fact. Your f- fear doesn't mean that it's a fact, right? Yeah. I, I think and it, that's yeah, really 100%. important. Yeah. Even though it can feel like it, you can yes. convince yourself that it's reality, but really mm-hmm. it's, it's likely just a feeling that will pass. And yeah. if you, you allow just have yourself. to, yes, you have to let it go through you. I think that's yes. the thing is that we try to avoid feeling uncomfortable, being uncomfortable. 100% because uh, we don't, we yeah. don't know what fear means. Yes. Fear is a little kid meant stop or don't put your hand there. It'll get burned. So when we feel fear, we take that as a moment of going, Oh, I have to stop. I must not do that thing because I feel fear instead of understanding to your point. Number one, fear is just an emotion. But number two, just because you feel something does not make it true. Mm-hmm. And that is really, really big. Um, yes. especially if you get caught in what I call a mental spiral, which is like one thing happens and then you start thinking about how that thing's going to impact something and then something else and something else. So like you have a bad before it's even happened oftentimes, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wait, We're preparing for something that we don't even know we need to prepare for. <laughs> Correct. Yeah you, yeah. you say you're in a meeting and this person just seems off and is not really relating to you. And you feel like you didn't do a good job presenting what you want to present. And then you go away and you're like, oh my gosh, I did such a horrible job. They're going to think I'm completely incompetent in my job. Oh my gosh. And then, then what's going to happen is that, that I'm not going to get the promotion. I'm not going to be able to move up. And then eventually I'm going to be blackballed and I'm going to be stuck here. And you've created this entire alternative reality off of one situation and, and an assumption about what actually happened. And so oftentimes I find we get stuck in those, what I call mental spirals, and then we can't act, but it's because we are looking at the circumstance and a assuming that fear could actually hurt us. (laughs) <laughs> and, and B that that fear is truth instead of understanding fear is a natural reaction to uncertainty. We haven't changed that much since we were cave men and women, right? Yeah. That's all fear is, is your body going, wait, I don't know what's going to come up next. It doesn't mean that something bad is going to happen. It means you need to recognize, oh, I'm not sure what's going to come. How do I feel about that? And do I need more information to be able to make a decision or do I just need to recognize to your point and surrender? Okay. I'm going to feel that feeling of fear. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to logically go, if I make this decision, is my, am am I in mortal danger? (laughs) (laughs) Like if I decide this is something like, is my life going to be over? Usually the answer to that question is no. Right. If I make this decision, what am I really scared about people judging me? Okay. Well, if somebody judges me and doesn't like my decision, will I die? No. Will I be okay if, if that happens? Like, will I survive? Yeah. Okay, cool. And if you can break it down that way, a lot of times the fear will dissipate and then you can go, oh yeah, it was just giving me a message. And when I sat and processed it, it's gone. And then Mm -hmm. I can see the intuition and the, the inner knowing for real. All right. I can really understand the right thing. And so I think as I've learned the process of being able to identify how I'm feeling, what information I need, really break it down. It's enabled me much quicker to see that for what it really is and then go, oh yeah, this is the right decision because what I constantly see, right? Fear is the opposite of possibility. 
Mm-hmm. You cannot create growth with fear ever. It just doesn't exist. They are the polar opposite of one another. So if what you're looking to do is grow and create opportunity, you can't make decisions from fear. You have to make decisions from a place of possibility. Mm-hmm. Okay. If I do this, what, what are the wonderful things that could come my way instead of, oh my gosh, if I do this, what am I going to lose? Maybe right. I don't like my job, but I have great flexibility. Well, I see so many women do that. I really hate what I'm doing and I dread going to work every day, but I don't want to lose the flexibility. I'm like, <laughs> why, why do you think you have to lose the flexibility? Why instead don't you think I could get the have same both. flexibility <laughs> and go do work that's way more fulfilling, right? That's looking at it from possibility. Like I could have this and that mm-hmm. versus fear, which is, well, I'm going to lose this thing. Mm-hmm. Well, what makes you think you're going to lose that thing? Is that really the only option available? Or is it actually possible that the thing that you don't want to lose, you can get somewhere else, but you can also get the other things. Well, that sounds like a very abundance uh, based, like thinking from a place of abundance and not a, a um, scarcity, which I think is brilliant. Um, and, you know, I, as we've said before, uh, women have a hard time asking for help but it's critical that they, they do. And it sounds like, you know, they, they would have so much peace of mind and, um, address performance issues and performance anxiety by working with you. Uh, so what's, what parting words do you have for us and how can we find you? Not have good work-life balance. We think it's normal to have to sacrifice all these things for our job. We think it's normal that we only like a portion of what we do And what I want to challenge people is that it might be common, but it's not normal. Mm. And there is a far greater possibility, right? For your life than you probably even know, but it starts with being open to the fact of like, I don't want to keep tolerating life the way that I have, and it can be better. And that somebody else out there can help me do that. Who's already been there and done that. I love that. And where can everyone find you? Yeah, I can be found at uh, thebridgetofulfillment.com. We also have a podcast with the exact same name um, and would love to you know, connect with any of the listeners. I'm also really active on LinkedIn um, and would love to connect with anybody. And uh, I always enjoy connecting with those who my message reaches and just hearing what's going on in their life and how it, how it impacted them. Mm. Well, this has been a very inspirational conversation, but packed with lots of actionable steps, which I think is contacting you, Blake, <laughs> if, um, if you're out there in your career and you're, you're unhappy and you're second guessing yourself, um, don't go to the people who are going to lead you astray which sometimes we tend to do, we kind of go to the people that lead us astray because maybe deep down we we're afraid to, to, to go for it, to go for what we really want. So we talk to people who maybe reinforce our own fears as opposed to helping us move in the direction to have more fulfillment. So the bridge to fulfillment is, is available. You just have to be willing to, to, uh, cross the path. Um, so Blake, I hope people reach out to you and, uh, I look forward to, uh, reading and, and connecting with your work, um, both on LinkedIn and, uh, I love listening to your podcast. Uh, very happy to be a guest 
Uh, and, you know, we, we talked about a lot of these issues um, that we dove into today. So, um, yeah, check out my interview on Blake's podcast, The Bridge to Fulfillment. And I wish you um, all the best. Thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. that to me is a waste of time because it will not move you forward. Mm-hmm. Instead, recognize that you did the best that you could with the information that you had. Yes. Right. Cause I have so many women come to me and go, Oh my gosh, if I had met you, it would have right three to four weeks in my program. It's like clockwork. Um, the work that we do with our clients to help them gain control. They feel like totally different people, even in the same job right? Wow. Where there is light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, I had a client once say that her stress was reduced by 70, seven, zero percent within the first mm-hmm. month of the program. And so oftentimes I have women come to me and say, I wish I had known you before. I feel so bad that I made this decision. And I'm like, you know what? It's okay. You are where you are, right? And you did what you felt at the time and what information you had at the time was best for you. But then the question that you have to ask yourself is then what's next? Because staying in that cycle of questioning and doubting yourself will waste a lot of time and energy mm-hmm. and actually won't solve the ultimate, the ultimate root cause of your problem or what you're trying to solve. If you left, it's because things were misaligned. So make sure that when you're taking this time that you're really getting the support and the, you know, the tools to make sure that the next move is the right one. Cause that's the best thing you can do for yourself, your career and your family, mm-hmm. because when you're in the right role, right. in the right company aligned, your career trajectory is much faster and much higher. Mm-hmm. And so you can look back on this. Like I look back at some of my toughest times and go, you know what? That was a good lesson. It was tough. It was hard. I would not want to repeat the worst year of my career ever. You cannot pay me enough money to repeat that. <laughs> um, but I'm grateful for it because it taught me lessons and it's enabled me to be who I am today. And so I would just say that to any woman who's listening, who feels like maybe she's doubting that she made the wrong decision, or maybe she feels guilty because she's, um, feels like she should be supporting her family in a way right now that she's not is right. You you did the best that you could with the information you have. Now, how do you take it and move forward Mm -hmm. to actually create the outcome that will get you what you want? Right. And, and I just really want to encourage women. So many women I talk to wonder if what they want is possible. Uh, It's a very common thing. Like maybe what I want isn't possible. It doesn't exist. And I'll tell you 99% of the time it does. Mm -hmm. And in fact, what you're asking for, you could get far more than what you're asking for. Um, that's consistently what I find. Um, and so I just want to encourage the women listening today that if it feels challenging or you don't feel like it exists, it's because you have a limited perspective or knowledge and getting with somebody who's done what you want to do 
right? And can help you successfully navigate it. That is the fastest way to be able to create the future you want. Because if you don't do that, what I see, right, is you'll be back in the cycle because you're going to compromise. You're going to go, well, there's some parts about this company, this job I like, but I really don't like this thing, but I can probably live with it. Hello, that is a sign. I can guarantee you, you will, that thing that you think, well, I could probably live with it is probably going to be the thing that starts to like, it's almost like you got a nail in your foot, right? And every time you start walking over a period of time, it will start bleeding and it will hurt and it will become to a point where it's like all you can think about. Um, those signs, when you have at the beginning interview are telling you it's not the right fit. Oh, it's, I'm so glad you brought that up because, uh, you know, I, I had being an entrepreneur, there's been times where, well, in the, in the one particular situation where I took a, a role, um, well, I was still self-employed and it was self-employed role, but, um, it was very much like being an employee and everything was telling me in the job interview that there was going to be some trouble with the way I was going to interact with the person that was in charge. And, you know, they were cutting me off in the interview and I was just getting all of these like signs that this wasn't the right thing. So the way I dealt with it was I asked for a lot more money than I thought they would give me so that I could, you know, I didn't, I don't know. It was like, I didn't want to turn it down, but at the same time I knew deep down that it wasn't the best thing for me. So in the end, I took the job because I got what I asked for, which I thought, oh, okay, well, you know, I can put up with this and we'll see how it goes. And, you know, I can win this person over. And uh, what I found was, you know, I had to, when I did decide to leave about a year after, um, I went through a big core values exercise to figure out like what went wrong, because it seemed like my dream job. Um, in an industry that I love, but there just, there was a misalignment and my intuition was telling me that if this wasn't going to be the right move. So I'm just curious, do you find that a lot of your clients say that they wish they had listened to their intuition? Do, do women have a hard time, like feeling mm-hmm. like they can't listen to their intuition? Not sure if it's, is it fear or is it intuition? (laughs) Yeah, 100%. So what you describe is what I, uh, you taking this job and thinking, well, the money will make it worth it. Good gracious. I can't tell you how many times (laughs) I have heard that story, seen that story, um, experienced that story where you think that the extra money will make you happy. And it, it doesn't right. Because the, the other things eventually, take over. And why do we do that? I think we do that because we have a scarcity mentality. Mm. We believe that there are only so many options. And if we pass up on this one, there will not be another one. Mm-hmm. But what I want, what I want more people to understand is there's far more abundance in the world than you could ever utilize. And every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. So when you are going and saying yes, after something that is not the right fit, you aren't allowing yourself the time, energy, your space to find the thing that actually will be the right fit for you. And Mm -hmm. I celebrate when my clients go, you know what? I had an interview or I had a networking and this is not the right fit for me. And I am going to pass up on it because I know then they get it. And through that, they're going to have the right mentality to focus their energy on the right opportunities. And then the right opportunities will have the space and time to come to them. So I just would love to hit on that first. Then the second thing you asked me was, um, remind me, what was it that you asked? You said, uh, it was a situation about, because you talked about your situation. Then you said, do I find that women? 
oh yeah. Do you find that women um, have a hard time following their intuition? Like do many of your clients not follow their intuition and do they get confused with thinking, well, no, I'm just, I'm just being fearful. It's not because I, because I started to think maybe that was the situation, right? I started to like, you know, try to come up with a reason why, (laughs) excuse me, a reason why I needed to take this job. And part of it is justify, we try to justify not listening to our intuition. So this is such a great topic. I uh, believe very strongly in learning how to listen to your inner voice. And once you have learned how to separate, is this fear or is this what I know from my intuition? It's incredibly, incredibly powerful. In fact, this morning I woke up with just this immediate, like you need to go do this thing. And I was like, okay, I'm going to just go do it. I have gotten to a place where I trust my inner voice. I understand what it's telling me and, and where to go. And even if I don't have all of the information, I just, I have the data that proves time and time and time again, when I listen to my intuition, it's right. Um, but mm-hmm. it took me a while to learn how to do that. Um, I definitely was the woman who was always second guessing my intuition, um, always in the mental loops, uh, overthinking and, uh, I think as women and as a society in general, um, well, I, I guess I'll kind of back it up as a society in general. I think we have been taught not to trust our own tuition. We've been taught that everything has to be vetted and proved. And I think our corporations, which were mainly built by men, right. Mm-hmm. That as women going into those corporations, we've been told it's not okay to be emotional, It's not okay to make decisions this way. You have to prove everything. And so we have grown up in environments where it's like, don't be emotional, prove X, Y, Z. You have to have all of this data. And so anytime we've had emotions, we then look to have the data to prove that that is true or not true. Um, And so I think we've over ramped on that. I love data. I am a data girl day in, day out. Um, (laughs) It helps me make most decisions, but What I've also learned is that your intuition is also data. It's just more deeply buried where your subconscious and conscious are connecting facts and data that you don't know. Wow. And so you haven't been able to like fully comprehend what's happening. And so we end up in these loops unnecessarily. So to your point, how do I know though, is it intuition or is it fear, right? Is, is separating that out, right? Um, Is this decision, am I making this decision because I'm scared? that something bad will happen, that I will be judged, that I won't have any other opportunities, that I will fail. If that is the case, right, then that's the wrong decision. Any decision that you are making out of fear instead of possibility is never going to be in your best interest, unless literally you're sitting there and somebody has a gun. And I mean, then of course, right. Um, But in general, when you are looking at a decision and you are choosing to act or not act based on fear, it's almost always wrong. And I think one of the things I've really learned over these last couple of years as an entrepreneur is what fear really is telling me and what it really is. I think we've never been taught to deal with fear. Um, and I think honestly, as parents, we raise our children to be fearful of us or fearful of things so that they don't do those very things. But fear is an emotion, just like anything else like happiness, like sadness, you know, it it is just an emotion. It doesn't have any more power than anything else. 
unless we give it that power. Yeah. It's right? not and a we, fact. Your f- fear doesn't mean right. that it's a fact, right? Yeah. I, I think and that's yeah, really 100%. important. Yeah. Even though it can feel like it, you can yes. convince yourself that it's reality, but really mm-hmm. it's, it's likely just a feeling that will pass. And yeah. if you, you allow just have to, yes, you have to let it go through you. I think that's yes. the thing is that we try to avoid feeling uncomfortable, being uncomfortable. 100% because uh, we don't, we yeah. don't know what fear means. Yes. Fear is a little kid meant stop or don't put your hand there. It'll get burned. So when we feel fear, we take that as a moment of going, Oh, I have to stop. I must not do that thing because I feel fear instead of understanding to your point. Number one, fear is just an emotion. But number two, just because you feel something does not make it true. Mm-hmm. And that is really, really big. Um, yes. especially if you get caught in what I call a mental spiral, which is like one thing happens and then you start thinking about how that thing's going to impact something and then something else and something else. So like you have a bad, before it's even happened oftentimes, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, We're before. preparing for something that we don't even know we need to prepare for. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. You, yeah. you say you're in a meeting and this person just seems off and is not really relating to you. And you feel like you didn't do a good job presenting what you want to present. And then you go away and you're like, oh my gosh, I did such a horrible job. They're going to think I'm completely incompetent in my job. Oh my gosh. And then, then what's going to happen is that, that I'm not going to get the promotion. I'm not going to be able to move up. And then eventually I'm going to be blackballed and I'm going to be stuck here. And you've created this entire alternative reality off of one situation and, and an assumption about what actually happened. And so oftentimes I find we get stuck in those, what I call mental spirals, and then we can't act, but it's because we are looking at the circumstance and a assuming that fear could actually hurt us. (laughs) <laughs> and, and B that that fear is truth instead of understanding fear is a natural reaction to uncertainty. We haven't changed that much since we were cavemen and women, right? Yeah. That's all fear is, is your body going, wait, I don't know what's going to come up next. It doesn't mean that something bad is going to happen. It means you need to recognize, oh, I'm not sure what's going to come. How do I feel about that? And do I need more information to be able to make a decision or do I just need to recognize to your point and surrender? Okay. I'm going to feel that feeling of fear. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to logically go, if I make this decision, is my, am am I in mortal danger? (laughs) (laughs) Like if I decide this is something like, is my life going to be over? Usually the answer to that question is no. Right. If I make this decision, what am I really scared about people judging me? Okay. Well, if somebody judges me and doesn't like my decision, will I die? No. Will I be okay if, if that happens? Like, will I survive? Yeah. Okay, cool. And if you can break it down that way, a lot of times the fear will dissipate and then you can go, oh yeah, it was just giving me a message. And when I sat and processed it, it's gone. And then mm-hmm. I can see the intuition and the, the inner knowing for real. All right. I can really understand the right thing. And so I think as I've learned the process of being able to identify how I'm feeling, what information I need, really break it down. It's enabled me much quicker to see that for what it really is and then go, oh yeah, this is the right decision because what I constantly see, right? Fear is the opposite of possibility. Mm -hmm. You cannot create growth with fear ever. It just doesn't exist. They are the polar opposite of one another. So if what you're looking to do is grow and create opportunity, you can't make decisions from fear. You have to make decisions from a place of possibility. Mm -hmm. Okay. If I do this, what, what are the wonderful things that could come my way instead of, 
oh my gosh, if I do this, what am I going to lose? Maybe I don't like my job, but I have great flexibility. Well, I see so many women do that. I really hate what I'm doing and I dread going to work every day, but I don't want to lose the flexibility. I'm like, (laughs) why why do you think you have to lose the flexibility? Why instead don't you think I could get the same flexibility (laughs) and go do work that's way more fulfilling, right? That's looking at it from possibility. Like I could have this and that Mm -hmm. versus fear, which is, well, I'm going to lose this thing. Mm -hmm. Well, what makes you think you're going to lose that thing? Is that really the only option available? Or is it actually possible that the thing that you don't want to lose, you can get somewhere else, but you can also get the other things. Well, that sounds like a very abundance uh, based, like thinking from a place of abundance and not a, a um, scarcity, which I think is brilliant. Um, and, you know, I, as we've said before, uh, women have a hard time asking for help but it's critical that they, they do. And it sounds like, you know, they, they would have so much peace of mind and, um, address performance issues and performance anxiety by working with you. Uh, so what's, what parting words do you have for us and how can we find you? not have good work-life balance. We think it's normal to have to sacrifice all these things for our job. We think it's normal that we only like a portion of what we do. And what I want to challenge people is that it might be common, but it's not normal. Mm. And there is a far greater possibility, right? For your life than you probably even know, but it starts with being open to the fact of like, I don't want to keep tolerating life the way that I have, and it can be better. And that somebody else out there can help me do that. Who's already been there and done that. Love that. And where can everyone find you? Yeah, I can be found at uh, thebridgetofulfillment.com. We also have a podcast with the exact same name um, and would love to you know, connect with any of the listeners. I'm also really active on LinkedIn and um, would love to connect with anybody. And uh, I always enjoy connecting with those who my message reaches and just hearing what's going on in their life and how it, how it impacted them. Mm. Well, this has been a very inspirational conversation, but packed with lots of actionable steps, which I think is contacting you, Blake, (laughs) if, um, if you're out there in your career and you're, you're unhappy and you're second guessing yourself, um, don't go to the people who are going to lead you astray which sometimes we tend to do, we kind of go to the people that lead us astray because maybe deep down we're, we we're afraid to, to, to go for it, to go for what we really want. So we talk to people who maybe reinforce our own fears as opposed to helping us move in the direction to have more fulfillment. So the bridge to fulfillment is, is available. You just have to be willing to, to, uh, cross the path. Um, so Blake, I hope people reach out to you and, uh, I look forward to, uh, reading and, and connecting with your work, um, both on LinkedIn and, uh, I love listening to your podcast. Uh, very happy to be a guest. Uh, and you know, we, we talked about a lot of these issues, um, that we dove into today. So, um, yeah, check out my interview on Blake's podcast, The Bridge to Fulfillment. And I wish you um, all the best. Thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.